Um, well, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast, the World of Drones and Robotics Congress um, special season or special edition, and this is uh, the fourth episode um, of this special edition. Um, before I get into today's episode, I, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's reached out and and um, and is coming along to the the Congress that's coming up um, next week. Now, I can't believe it's come around so quickly. Really looking forward to seeing everybody, and, and thanks so much for all the feedback on the uh, on the podcast we've um, we've done today. Um, Today I'm really excited about today's present, uh, today's discussion. I guess um, with uh, with Aaron and also with uh, talking about iris automation, and the reason is that I see some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is being game changing in what we're trying to do as an industry and how we're trying to professionalise, modernise, and mature um, what we're doing. So I'm really looking forward to it. So today um, I've got Aaron Rudger here from Iris Automation. How are you, Aaron? Doing well? I am, Andrew. Thank you very much. I'm I'm really pleased to be here with you. Yeah, great. And uh, like everyone would have heard last week with David Hansel from Loon, um, would you like to tell our listeners where you are? Because you're in a very similar location to where David was. Yeah, certainly. So I am based on uh, the West Coast of the United States. Um, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. So uh, that's that's my my current current denizen. Yeah, fantastic. And um, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. It's it's your evening around the six o'clock mark and our sort of lunchtime. So I know it's not easy to uh, to get people together, um, but to have, you know, we've done four of these for the special season um, and two of them are international guests. So so thanks so much to you uh, before we start, Aaron, and also to Iris Automation. My pleasure. Hey, look, um, I always like to talk about the guest first. So, you know, we, we want to talk about Iris, we want to talk about your technology, um, but I'm a people person and I like to know about people. So would you mind um, giving, I guess, our listeners a bit of a background and insight into your background and, and maybe what your current role is um, at Iris? Yeah, certainly, yes. So um, uh, I'm currently the head of marketing at Iris Automation and I've been with the company now for, uh, it's coming on about eight months or so. So I'm a relatively short short timer here with with the company and the company itself has been been around for a little over five years. Um, and really what uh, 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 what i'm what I'm doing here at Iris and why I've joined is really to help the company transition from being primarily focused on developing its technology, uh, more of an r and d oriented mm. uh, enterprise to one that is actually bringing a commercial product to market and attempting to really, in practical terms, solve some of the challenges that from a mission standpoint, the company was founded to, to, to go out and solve. So previous to Iris Automation, um, I, I'd been working in the IT technology space. I've been basically um, creating product positioning and, and, uh, and content for technology companies um, uh, in mainly the IT management space, DevOps, that kind of uh, software background. And so this has been a really, really uh, fun and intentional transition for me coming into this space because I have, uh, as an enthusiast, appreciated the concept of drones and aviation uh, going way back in my history. Um, uh, I actually kind of started to pursue a, a, a career in, in flight and piloting didn't work out for me. Um, yep. And so this has been a great opportunity to kind of rekindle a lot of that fire, so to speak. Uh, and hopefully I've been able to bring 
interesting background that's not necessarily burdened by um, you know a lot of the the baggage that maybe has come from the from the drone space, especially the small drone space um, in in maybe let's say the last five to ten years or so. Uh, and then from the aviation side, of course, I don't necessarily want to consider it to be baggage, but I've certainly come to appreciate that it is uh, a very arcane world uh, mm. that uh, you, you have to exist in to create aircraft that's going to fly safely. And of course, to be involved with operationally um, managing those aircraft in ways that are going to benefit either commercial enterprises or, or societal causes and societal missions. So it's been a really great transition for me. Yeah, fantastic. And, and I think um, you bring up some really good points there that we sort of see as, as rub points in our industry too, where, you know, at times there, there's people that have this perception that if you don't come from an aviation background, you can't work in this industry. And, and I think that that's entirely wrong. And, and you know, you're, you're kind of proving that it sort of shows that what well, seems like Iris, you know, understands that people, people are good at things and people are not good at things. And so typically people that build stuff and design stuff aren't necessarily good at marketing and selling and doing other things. So is that what Iris kind of identified? that they needed that that skill set to really push them into iris technology iris automation 2.0 yeah yeah it's interesting because our founders um we, we the, the co-founding team um both of them actually did come from the small unmanned space right aviation space um one of our co-founders was uh, an early employee at matternet um he also had some background with nasa another uh one of our co-founders had um, background with C2 and Boeing. And so they, they come with those, with that background for sure, but really um, uh, essentially a very wide open, you know, and, and out of the box kind of perspective, right. Um, in terms mm. of trying to solve the problem. And so the rest of the team from a technology standpoint, these are not necessarily aviation experts per se. Now, now that we're transitioning and that's how we've come to build the product, right? And now that we're transitioning to uh, being a commercial entity representing a commercial product that is trying to um, uh, facilitate the safe integration of unmanned aircraft into the national airspace and, and broader global airspace. Um, the reality is, is we do need that aviation expertise. And we actually have been subsequently augmenting now uh, from the other side. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting journey. And as mm. this company continues to evolve and reach, you know, certain milestones, right, we're going to probably, you know, take more input, let's say, from that aviation background in space. And then we might step back again from that and, and redouble down on, on some of the more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial uh, technology um, expertise that's available to us. Uh, but yeah, we've right now we're 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 in an interesting transition period where it's important that we do make sure that we are effectively balancing all of the innovation that we're driving with the reality that this needs to be safely integrated and we need to understand better the the regulatory context that's involved with that. We need to understand better the broader uh, um, manufacturing context that's involved with that. And so um, we've really rounded out the team and continue to balance it quite nicely. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's, um, let's dive into Iris and, and let's talk about it a little bit more. So um, sure. what is it? What, what do you guys do? Yeah. What, what are you guys doing in San Francisco? 
Yeah. So um, uh, we fundamentally are a technology company that's focused on, as I mentioned before, the safe integration of unmanned aircraft into the into the international airspace, and we're doing that through bringing what we believe is an innovative approach to the concept of see and avoid, detect and avoid um, uh, uh, collision avoidance, right? And our approach fundamentally is based on computer vision. And so we use computer vision because uh, there's a lot of advantages. Um, it's a very unique and novel approach. It's not necessarily novel from the standpoint of the way in which let's say uh, un, un, uh, our driverless cars, for example, are, are trying to solve for um, being able to safely move passengers, right? Uh, on the roadway. But in, 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 in aircraft, in, in the airspace itself, right, we've been highly reliant on radar and uh, ADSB um, and obviously all the other tactical and strategic mitigations that you use to help ensure that, uh, you know, things that are flying in the same space don't, don't run into each other, right? We don't swap paint, et cetera. And, um, uh, and, in the advantage or the specific problem that we're trying to kind of uh, solve for is this notion of when you take that pilot, right? The human being kind of not completely out of the loop, but certainly out of the cockpit. Mm. How do you ensure that you can continue to deliver that safe detect and avoid capability that you normally would seed as the last line of defense, so to speak, to that pilot sitting in the cockpit? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And and I like um, I like your your discussion there around you know the problem that, that you're trying to solve. And, and I tend to bang on about it on this podcast a fair bit around um, people really understanding you know what is the problem they're trying to solve. You know let let's let's build problem centric solutions, not solution centric solutions. Let let's not just build stuff for the sake of it. Um, and I think you know the, the work you guys are doing is is smack bang in the middle of um, the largest problem that the industry has, which is that manned aircraft don't typically trust unmanned aircraft at this point. Um, and it seems like you're trying to put that trust, you know, back into the manned aircraft by saying, well, we have these systems available. Yes. I, I you know, for obvious reasons, if you're, if you're a, a member of the flying public, um, there's a level of concern, right. Mm -hmm. And there has been for some time and yeah, we're, we're trying to solve for that. Uh, the regulatory agencies, uh, that exists to help ensure that everybody can stay safe and uh, go about doing what they want to do and achieve their goals through flight the way that they want to achieve are obviously also very concerned. They're, they're kind of a, a stakeholder in that. Um, you know, the reality is, is that safety ex expands beyond the worst case scenario, right? Mm. I mean, the worst case scenario is a collision. Um, but there are a lot of other aspects to, to trying to use detect and avoid, see and avoid to help ensure safety um, that go even beyond that worst case scenario, right? We want to ensure that, that equipment um, stays in its intended <laughs> you know, form, right? We don't want yeah. stuff to inadvertently run into things or be pushed into some type of performance scenario 
that is going to result in some kind of bad outcome. And that bad outcome, again, may not be necessarily the result of a midair collision, but it may end up in some kind of hard landing or, or other bad outcome, right? So um, we, we, we really are focused on, on, on uh, really looking at that safety problem and trying to solve for it as holistically as we possibly can. Not only is that going to ensure that you're creating, um, obviously, trust with the flying public, you're also providing other benefits as well that relate to the commercial viability of your drone program. For example, you're going to need insurance. Mm. Well, if you can lower the cost of your insurance, right, because you're able to prove to your provider that you're flying in a way that is going to hopefully result in fewer hard landings or safety events, right, then, then that's a good thing commercially good as thing. well. So It's a very good thing. Yeah. <laughs> So you talk about, um, you know, and I love the tagline you've used, I think, a couple of times, which is you, you guys are all about the safe integration of unmanned systems into airspace. I think that's 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 a fantastic thing that we should all follow. So um, tell me more about how. So is this, a, is this a software platform like a UTM or an unmanned traffic management type system, or is this a physical system or a physical product that, that we bolt onto an aircraft? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we... Uh, we fundamentally provide software and vision systems that are integrated to be uh, executed and, and run on the actual drone device itself, right? So okay. this is all running on board at the edge, if you will. Um, and uh, it's, it's designed as a combination um, of both the uh, the, the sensing via um, opto-electrical input, right? We use cameras. Mm -hmm. And the processing of all of the image imagery that is running in real time through that camera on an onboard, essentially, supercomputer, right? Using uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that are running natively within the software that we have engineered onboard that um, that highly efficient chipset. Chip so that's in a box. The the, the way that the the, the system is is um, uh, is designed. And today we are selling it to both end users who are really, let's say, the very early adopter, you know, it, um, uh, innovators that are trying to create and experiment with a number of different systems and have the expertise to be able to do that themselves, as well as the manufacturers of the aircraft themselves, right? To more intentionally integrate uh, the system into their system. And we're just now beginning to really come online with some significant partnerships with those manufacturers that we think are going to really help uh, the end using customers um, who want to adopt this technology into their drone program do so without necessarily having to accept the overhead and the burden, right, of all of that direct integration themselves. Yeah, brilliant. So, um, if if we bring it back to the, I guess to the to the easiest way to kind of describe what I understand the system's doing is that you've got a you've got a system that's integrated into an aircraft and it's got an, an electro optical camera that, that obviously sits on it as well. That system that's integrated has a, a machine learning type algorithm that's part of it, and for people 
most people would know what machine learning is nowadays, but typically it, it's where we feed a bunch of images in, into a system and we say that that is X. And when you see X, you need to then do Y. Um, and so what I, what I understand, I think the system does is that we, we fly along and all of a sudden we see a Cessna 152 out into the distance. It'll pick that up. It'll then tell itself that that's an aircraft in front of me. It will then execute some type of predetermined algorithm to move around that aircraft. Is that, is that the basics of how this system works? Yeah, that's the basics of it. Absolutely. There's a there's absolutely a detection event, right, that's going to occur. We have to classify what is being detected. You know, yep. we, we um, for example, we, we, we hear a lot from customers. Do you do you detect birds? Do you avoid birds? Well, actually, we detect birds. We spend a lot of energy trying to differentiate between a bird and a helicopter, <laughs> let's say. Um, but we actually don't try to avoid birds because they are pretty darn good at flying. And again, if we're really trying to focus on safety, it's actually more unsafe potentially for a drone to try to avoid a bird that may be intentionally trying to attack that drone um, mm. than if we otherwise just accepted the outcome that was going to come as a function of that bird, you know, taking, taking a look potentially, or maybe a little bit more close per inspection of, yep. the, of the aircraft. So yeah, we have to do the detection, the classification, and then we do the, the um, as far as the avoidance is concerned, we leave that to the autopilot that is control of the aircraft, but we are providing the data and the instructions to the uh, autopilot uh, that it needs in order to execute the appropriate um, some sort of command some some sort of yeah. movement that makes a bit of sense i guess so that if you've got so you're not locked into what that response is so if you're you know you could have this you could have a military application you could have a different application you could have a different application again all with differing variables which means that people could set whatever that execution is or whatever that movement needs to be based on what their specific context is is that is that what you're saying there Yes, that's a really good summarization of that. And in fact, we, we see that, you know, as, as we're looking down the horizon at the direction that we're, we want to take the technology and the roadmap that we're, you know, moving down toward, we see that as being a more important aspect of our future because um, that concept of fusion, right, um, yeah. and uh, flexibility as it relates to the control systems that are going to be integrated on these devices, um, we recognize that, that that's actually going to be more important, that for us to create the standard for um, specifically the kind of avoidance maneuvers that need to be made in any given scenario uh, is, is maybe too opinionated, frankly, yep. and, um, and we need to be a little bit more open as it relates to that. Yeah, okay. Um, can I ask around the maturity level of the technology? So where, and obviously mm -hmm. I'm not asking specifics because I'm sure there's, there's commercial and confidence information, but sure. where are we through that maturity path, this technology? Are we sort of, um, you know, we're, we're past prototyping, where it's, it's now being proven. Where does that kind of sit? Yeah, well, um, you know, we, we have a number of uh, commercial, in, you know, installations today. Um, we think that we're, you know, we're, we're definitely well past the prototyping phase. Yep. Um, we, you know, in terms of the performance of the system, uh, we continue to develop and improve the performance. Um, I think as you are 
probably pretty well aware as it relates to specifically beyond visual line of sight flight yep. and those types of missions, right? They're based on exceptions and they're very constrained in terms of what's the scenario that you're going to be attempting to, uh, to execute that kind of a mission on. And so what we're doing is we're continuing to evolve as it relates to the kinds of customer scenarios that we're, we're reacting to, um, that we're supporting. Uh, and so I would say that we are not at the point yet, and it's a largely a function of the way in which, you know, customer projects are, are kind of manifesting. Um, we're not at the point yet to be able to claim complete, you know, yes, we have standardized uh, the, you know, the, the entirety of the system in terms of the level of performance and its application in all scenarios for all aircraft, et cetera. I mean, that's ultimately our vision or our goal, mm. but we're still working. Um, we're still working toward that for sure. And, uh, you know, I think that's an important point, but, but I also um, take into consideration that this you will probably never get to a finished point. There is always going to be, you know, wanting to, you always want to continue to expand and then expand again. And, you know, so I, I think um, I'd be, I'd be interested, you know, around the founder's thoughts, you know, around the, the head of the company's thoughts around like, what is the finished product? Cause I suspect there is no finished product. This will just continue to evolve and mature um, over the next 20 years or however long it is. And, and to that point, it's, I think it's very important. And for me, because, you know, again, I come kind of from software background it's, it's, it's super valuable that we are taking a software-based approach, right? And that's using essentially, you know, commoditized uh, hardware to a certain extent um, so that we can continue to evolve in that way, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, one of the things that's um, obviously taking an electro-optical approach, uh, you know, we're, we're never going to really be able to use this to go through to the point where you're going beyond visual flight rules, right. To mm -hmm. IFR type con conditions. Um, but the beauty is, is that uh, light is free, right. It's infinite. Yep. <laughs> except when we, except when the sun goes down. Right. Yep. Um, and it's obscured by, by things like clouds, but, but it's, it's really, really cheap. And so it affords us a great opportunity from a resource standpoint for data to collect an extremely rich and robust and, um, and very inexpensive data set. And you know, we continue to leverage that to help grow the system, improve the system, and um, through the advancements that we continue to invest in, in the actual core software itself, um, you know, be able to to your point, not necessarily feel a sense of constraint as to how far we, we can go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about a couple of specifics, I guess, because I'm sure people will be interested. So sure. what sort of distance are we looking at? Like how far out can we detect before we then decide um, what, you know, that we need to do something? Yeah. So 1,200 meters right now is kind of our baseline detection uh, performance threshold. And so... Um, you know, we will commonly detect even well beyond that, but but that's that's kind of our baseline threshold right now. Um, so so yeah, that's that's kind of the range that we're working on, and, uh, uh, and and that's based on the cameras we have access to today. You know, and camera technology is only going to continue to improve and in, 
um, and, and, and get smaller and better. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we're at today for that performance threshold. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I suspect that it's easier to pick up, you know, a Cessna flying around the airspace or, or something, but, but how small a, a, an aircraft can you pick up? You know, will, will it pick up other drones at certain distances? And you, you sort of mentioned birds before, will it pick up birds and stuff? Right. So it definitely will pick up birds. Um, I, I'm not sure that we would pick up a bird at 1200 meters, frankly, but, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, no, um, I think in terms of small aircraft, what we're really focused on and what we've designed the system to, um, uh, to, to be, to, to be performant is in the context of, you know, at low altitude, right? What are the kinds of realistic mid-air collision threats, intruders that, you know, are viable, right? Are, are going to be typical and important to make sure that you're, your detection, your classification is, is rock solid. So small aircraft, helicopters, even paragliders, right? And, yep. uh, uh, or hot air balloons. And, you know, these are obviously aircraft that are going to exist at those low altitudes. They are silent. They are not transmitting, right? Mm. Um, some type of signal. And so, again, that's... Part of what you want that pilot in the cockpit to be your last line of defense to try to be able to react to and ensure um, that you have a safety, you know, a, 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 a kind of a, a safety fallback, right? And mm. that's that's what we're really focused on. Okay. And is there, you mentioned at the moment, it's EO detection. Is there other methods of detection, you know, in the, in the pipeline or the roadmap to build in? Um, or, or are you just sticking with EO for the moment? So um, we do integrate with ADSB, so mm -hmm. that's that's definitely part of of the of the system as it exists today. Um, you know, night vision is an interesting possibility for us. And so um, it's it's definitely something that you know it, it's. I would say it's not something we're committing to at this point in time, but it is absolutely on our radar screen. And so that's, um, uh, that's something that we're definitely interested in, you know, other technologies, frankly, I mean, the whole point behind taking the, the uh, electrical electro optical approach, right. Is because it has obvious advantages in terms of swap. Um, mm -hmm. So consumption and power and such. And so, um, you know, we're, we're not, going to be looking at like LIDAR in, in the near okay. future, right? Um, because of the power consumption that it requires. And also in terms of the range, right? I mean, there's definitely some limitations as it relates to LIDAR from, from a range standpoint. So um, that's, that's, that's kind of what we're focused on as well. Can you, um, can you talk to the sort of industries that you're seeing are interested in this, and I don't expect you to talk about specific customers. But um, is this hobbyists? Is it um, is it dry delivery companies? Who, who are the people that are looking at this stuff? Yeah, so that that is a great question. Uh, the hobbyist is absolutely not our ideal customer profile. Um, yeah. We really have been in conversations with enterprises, and um, uh, and increasingly broader partners within the entirety of the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
So in the United States, we the the Federal Aviation Authority has been shepherding this program they call the integration pilot program and we have been a participant in the integration pilot program for some time they recently announced just last week that that's going to be subsumed by a um, a, a successor program named beyond and the the really the focus um, with the model that was initiated with the us IPP program and now has really been codified um, as a key focus for the for the U.S. Beyond program is this notion of these partnerships. So bringing together end users and customers who have real legitimate use cases and very valuable use cases that span from long linear infrastructure, which is the one that is, I think, kind of the, that, that's been the one that's in the wheelhouse for us right now, um, yep. to first response, right? And, um, search and rescue. We're actively involved in projects that relate to that specific set of use cases and then package delivery as well. And so really those three sets of use cases, whether it's long linear inspection, package delivery, or uh, first response and safety and, and um, search and rescue, those are really the key use cases that we're, we're supporting. And in terms of the partnerships that we're trying to marshal, that again stems. We're having conversations, and we have sold to um, end-using customers who, uh, you know, are leaders in, for example, long linear inspection, whether it's rail lines or or electrical utility lines or gas lines and pipelines, um, as well as uh, really interesting innovators and and governmental agencies that are doing search and rescue and first response scenarios, um, and then in package delivery as well. We we recently um, have formed a partnership with uh, a company that's based in Australia and um, that is in the package delivery space. And they're doing some really interesting things that are focused on impact for the better good of society in particular. And so we're going to be announcing some things around that partnership very soon. Great. Um well, Aaron, I think uh, what you guys are doing is great, mate. I think you know anything that we can, anything that we as in the community can do to, um, you know, a few things. Not only provide additional safety in the airspace, but also just keep our manned pilots at ease. That you know we have got this. We we do know what we're doing, um, and we're staying out of your out of your face is, is a really good thing, and <laughs> and it's going to remove some of those um, some of those barriers as we move forward. Hey, um, it, it'd be remiss of me not to talk about Board of Drones and Robotics Congress, um, given that mm. this is uh, this is what this special special season or special edition is all about. I've said it yeah. a couple of times. I'm going to keep saying it. Um, it's the World of Drones and Robotics Congress. It's based uh, up here in sunny Brisbane, um, sitting at about 25 to 30 degrees Celsius. Next week, it's going to be fantastic. Um, over 12 or 13 November at the Brisbane Convention Entertainment Centre, probably. Um, one of the only conferences that's occurring in Australia this year, and absolutely the only drone conference that's occurring, and and I don't know worldwide, but I'm but I'm sure there's not many occurring worldwide either. Um, obviously, where there is Mirigan, um, can, can you tell me Iris Automations, um, what you guys are doing, and I guess how you're involved and why you're involved? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as a US-based company. There were many individuals within Iris Automation who were very eager to personally <laughs> attend and participate in World of Drones Congress. 
Um, however, because of uh, obviously the pandemic, we were not, Damn we're not you, able COVID. to do that. We can't go to Brisbane. Yes, <laughs> yes, yet again. Um, and uh, you know, and we're transitioning into our winter, so I'm sure it's actually quite lovely in Brisbane right yep. now. So uh, it's it's definitely been a bummer. So sadly, we've transitioned to that virtual sponsorship level. So we will have you know our shingle hung in a virtual fashion. And we'll have folks from our team who will be um, actively engaged in mm-hmm. uh, answering questions and, and participating in the discussions in and around the co- conference. I will say one of our co-founders, James Howard, he's actually, he, he's a, he's a, uh, he's from Australia. So he's All a right. transplant um, by way of Canada back to the United States. So he himself is actually very eager to uh, transition from his evening dinner to World of Drunk Congress as, yeah. as, a, uh, as, as, a, as an attendee and a participant. So um, we're very excited to, to participate in, unfortunately, that somewhat limited way uh, yep. virtually. Um, can you give any advice to people that are thinking about coming along? You know, wh- why should they get involved? Why should they come along? Or if they can't get here physically, why should they join virtually? Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the kind of content that is planned for, um, uh, for the event, it, it, it's absolutely the kind of content that is necessary for the community to understand how to continue to advance the entire industry. Right. And it's, it, it, it at Iris, you know, going back to another question that you had asked about, you know, like, what is our technology? How does it really work? Like we don't see ourselves actually as being the thing, right? The missing piece that's going to solve for safety. It's it takes it takes a village, right? It takes mm. the, this metaphor of like Swiss cheese, right? Of multiple layers of different technologies and different approaches. And so it's important that the community understands this uh, as a whole and is understanding all of the different aspects of whether it's the safety journey, whether it's the flight operations journey, um, whether it's the the manufacturing journey, there's just so much to learn. So it's really important that we have these venues and these uh, opportunities. And I know from a content standpoint, World Drones Congress, uh, World Drones um, and Robotics Congress is uh, um, has some really great content. So oh, I love your, oh, I love your. Um you know, what you were talking about then with, with people effectively, you know, what I heard was people working together. You know, everyone has their own little piece of this this puzzle that we've got to put together. And something that mm-hmm. I've been yelling about in, in this industry for the last few years is that people have got to stop looking at everybody else as a, as a threat and as a, um, as a competitor. And we've actually got to start collaborating and working together. And that takes trust and, and it takes a few other things. And no doubt there's some people across the industry that have done the wrong thing in the past and, and lost that trust yeah. from people. But oh, I, I love the way, you, you know, you put that then. You guys are not the thing. You guys are part of the thing. And the overall thing is ensuring that we, we keep our skies safe and, um, you know, we have that safe integration of unmanned systems. So I, I, I hear you. I think, it's, um, I think it's fantastic. And I just had a bit of a look at, uh, look at Celsius to, um, to Fahrenheit. And, and so for any of our US listeners, on Thursday in Brisbane, it's going to be 100, exactly 100 um, Fahrenheit next wow. week. Oh, sorry, 100 this Thursday, it's going to be 100. It's going to be 38 in Brisbane this week. Um, so, you know, that's what you're missing out on. But um, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll see you next year. I, I certainly hope, Andrew, that you have a cool drink 
to uh, temper that high heat. <laughs> we will. Yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky at South Bank where it's being held. It's uh, there's, there's a couple of quite good pubs just close by, so there might be a, a couple of beers at the end of each day, that's for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, Aaron, um, thanks so much for joining us um, today all the way from San Francisco, our second international guest. So I really appreciate the time zone difference and and, and making this happen. Um, I've said it a couple of times and I'll say it again. I love what you guys are doing. I think anyone that, that sets a mission, you know, to really ensure that safe integration of our unmanned systems for the betterment of our industry, but also to ensure we keep manned industry, you know, safe um, has, has a big tick in my book. So, mate, thanks so much for um, joining us. Thanks for what you guys are doing. Awesome. Thanks again for the opportunity to, uh, to spend some time talking about this stuff and uh, look forward to seeing you and the rest of the Merrigan team at, uh, at the conference. We'll see you virtually and we'll see you in person next year. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Cheers. Cheers.